When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. You know, our mission is to serve you with information that empowers you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I have the pleasure of hearing where I might have gotten it wrong in this week's Clark Stink segment. And later, home builders are feeling the crunch and you can potentially benefit from it during a really tough time in the housing market for buyers and also some sellers. And Nicole is with us this week, the last day of Krista being away with family. And so, Nicole, you get to share with me all the ways I am stinking <laughs> it up in today's Clark Stinks. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. is oversimplified. Like if your score is high, that means it's good. You don't say. Let's talk to the adults also, not just the room temperature IQs. LOL. Frank. <laughs> Frank, thank you. Um, so surveys show in the example you gave with credit reports, credit scores, that people are totally befuddled by them the whole idea that there are multiple scores on each of us, multiple scoring models, different type of credit score for a car loan, for a mortgage, for credit cards, different methodologies when you're trying to get auto insurance or homeowner's insurance, that there is no one credit score. And so that's why, as an example, that is something that seems really elementary, but is not at all. But yes, there are times I'll have people come up to me and they'll say, I can't believe that people actually listen to you. All you ever do is talk simple common sense. And then they'll ask me an involved consumer question. <laughs> no, anyway, <laughs> Clark, you stink more than a nitromethane top fuel dragster. What if, in the world is that? Do you if, know what that is? I don't know what that is. But it okay. says, if you've never been to an NHRA drag race, burning nitro makes your eyes water and nose run. It's really bad. I so I am nitro-methane. Yes. Ooh, okay. I don't understand your love affair with electric automobiles. My wife and I rented an electric Volvo SUV in Tampa. We spent 20 cents per mile and two and a half hours of our time to charge the vehicle at a rapid charging station. Yeah, not very rapid. <laughs> Two and a half hours. We could have rented a gas car that averaged as low as 25 MPG at a cost 13 cents per mile with the gas price at $3.30 a gallon and five minutes of our time. True, true, true. Never rent an electric car unless you want to save less, spend more, and get ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> time is money. The Volvo SUV is well-built 
and the new experience was entertaining, but it just isn't for me. I believe natural gas is the better alternative for the future. Oh, you really don't stink. You're a positive man. Douglas. Douglas, thank you. Okay, so I've been driving an electric vehicle since 2011, so 12 years now. When I get to the rental plaza and they offer me an electric vehicle, I always say no. And I rent cars uh, at least twice a month, really more than that. And I'm offered them like every third or fourth time. I say, oh, no, thank you. I'd rather have a gas engine car because of exactly what you said. When you own an electric vehicle and it's part of your life, you have a routine for charging usually overnight. It doesn't inconvenience your lifestyle. You're not driving a long distance, usually at a single time. And that was really a crummy charger you were at that it took two and a half hours. I mean, when my wife drove on a road trip the other day with the dogs, drove about 400 miles, she had to stop once and charge for 12 minutes. And that was it. So it doesn't have to be a zillion hours. But no, the cost of using those public chargers, so much money so often that you're best off not renting an electric car and just renting a gas engine car. As for natural gas, I've been through that era too. I had a Honda natural gas Civic. It was called, I think, a Honda Civic GX, maybe. Loved driving that car. The refueling was difficult where I live. There are only certain places in the country that have good infrastructure for owning and operating a natural gas car, and that would be parts of Utah and parts of Oklahoma, the only two areas I know of having a natural gas car, the infrastructure's there to make it easy breezy. Clark, you were right on target recently when you advised the family to seek out an elder law attorney in relation to future Medicaid estate recovery related to long-term care for their elderly parents. But it was a dog's breakfast of a suggestion (laughs) to mention that all they consider was doing a deed transfer within five years of future care. You failed to state a crucial detail. If the elderly parents are already receiving benefits, as a Medicaid, SSI, or SSDI, then such a deed transfer might be considered a gift to family and kick them off benefits. The five-year rule is not the only thing to consider, and they must work with a quality elder law attorney before changing title. Also, your listeners may not be aware that people receiving benefits can get into trouble not only gifting to family, but also receiving gifts from others. These cannot easily be disclaimed as the government considers them potential resources they could have used. Andy from St. Louis. And what is a dog's breakfast? Is that an expression I'm not familiar with? He says it's an um, Australian colloquialism. Um, As we say down under, when you like someone, you insult them. And if you dislike them, you say nothing. (laughs) I looked it up. A dog's breakfast is like an unappealing, you have dog, Uh, unappealing mixture, a mess. Yeah, dog's breakfast is, uh, (laughs) I think we're cruel to dogs that what we serve them is what we serve them. So thank you for all of that. This is an extremely complicated area. That's why the time to try to figure out how you're going to pay for somebody's elder care is not, you know, it's a huge percent of us are going to need some help with life's daily activities at some point. Uh, There are different numbers bandied around 70 to 80 to 90%, depending on who you believe. And a lot of times people don't even think about it till the house is already on fire. When uh, aging family member is going to need 
some form of assistance in living, whether it's nursing home, assisted living, or whatever. And that's why as a parent ages, that's when you go see an elder law attorney to find out the right way to handle things. Because, yeah, I mean, if you've got Medicaid already coming in the household, you can't transfer the house. That's a very great point. And there are other very specific things about it. I was talking with an elder care manager. What what are they called? Person who's an expert at taking care of the needs of the elderly and getting a good placement and all that. A geriatric care manager. That's what it's Mm -hmm. called. There's a trade association for it and all that. People don't know how to pick. And you don't pick based on a shiny brochure or a smiling face tour of a facility. This is an area that you lay the money out. You spend the hourly rate for a geriatric care manager, just like with the finance side, the person you see is an elder law attorney, a very specialized area of the law to make sure that the finances are being properly handled for an aging family member. Often it's an aging parent. Just wanted to bring to your attention rebooking policy on third-party travel sites. While most airlines allow for rebooking of a fare with a credit for difference in fare if the airline fare decreased in price, this only works if you book directly with the airline. I recently used Capital One Travel, Hopper, to book a flight because their prediction model predicted that the prices won't decrease. However, when the flight decreased in price by about $200, I tried to rebook for lower fare. I was told by Capital One Travel While I can change my travel plans without a fee, but if the new fare is lower, I won't be credited for the difference in fares. And that's from Payam. I would say that whoever you talked to at Capital One Travel didn't know what they were talking about, and you should contact them again. That is not the way it plays. Uh, Most of the complaints that do come up about travel involve third party. And, you know, I've talked about the advantages of using Costco travel to book cruises because they rebate most of the commission back to people. And uh, the nonprofit group, Elliot, had a write-up about someone who had a terrible problem with Costco travel and talked about how many complaints they get about people who book through Sam's Club's travel outlet, BJ's Wholesale, and Costco travel, that everything's fine when the trip's fine, but when something hiccups, that the warehouse clubs just kind of look the other way. At least that was the opinion of Elliot. So this is a significant issue that people face using third-party booking sources, third-party booking engines, that there is a trade-off with the money you save up front and the problems with customer no service later. And during COVID, this was something I became very well aware of when we went from living normal life in the United States in February of 20, and then like this shift, like you could not imagine this U-turn March of 20, and we were getting literally thousands of complaints from people with travel issues, with airlines, hotels, cruise lines, you name it. And the hardest to resolve problems that we had at the Team Clark Consumer Action Center, hands down, No doubt, no question, were people who had booked through any third-party site, any travel element. You stink like a college dorm room refrigerator in May. Not horrible, 
but there's an off-putting odor that's something that is now unrecognizable and that nobody claims. Speaking of college, you mentioned the other day that kids paying for their own tuition is something that would be extremely difficult today. This may be the case for some kids who don't know how to work a summer job and manage their money, but if kids can work hard, make wise choices about where to go to school, and take care of their money as you did when you paid for school, they can not only pay for their own tuition, but they will learn valuable skills that will serve them for their whole life. My wife and I have three kids who have all paid or are paying for their higher education, and we wouldn't change a thing. We could have paid for it, but we chose to let them pay their own way, make their own choices, and realize their own successes through hard work. Perhaps if parents and government quit dumping so much money into college education, the nation's universities would be forced to lower their costs and increase their value. Kevin. All right, so college thing is broken. There's no doubt it's broken. So I have three kids, and they're really far apart in age. I think just in the 17 years difference in enrolling as a freshman from my oldest child to my youngest, the difference in these college campuses is mind-blowing. I mean, they are, so many of them are so fancy, private and public, that you feel like you're sending your kids off to a country club. That's not how college always was. I think this fuel is all being fed by the federal student loan program that allows anybody to sign up for basically unlimited money to pay for college. It's removed the marketplace mechanisms and the college student loan programs, the federal taxpayer subsidized programs, originally started with a noble purpose to expand access to college. Now I think it's having the opposite effect. It's discouraging people from going to college because the cost of attending colleges is so high. But you are completely right that if somebody chooses to go to an inexpensive school, it is still possible under certain circumstances for a motivated teenager and young adult to pay their way through college. It was much easier when I did it back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, but it is still possible today, particularly with a number of state efforts that make commuter colleges local to where somebody lives very, very inexpensive, even as cheap as about $10,000 for four years. The Clarky played on 1026, the Deacon Bob parody, where he spoke in mocking tone on behalf of the Church of Roth, while you and your sidekick giggled, was distasteful and amateurish. Allowing audience performances is a bad idea. Please stop. One. One, I'm really sorry you took offense at that. It uh, I, I thought it was was funny. It was silly, but I thought it was funny, and I'm I'm sorry that you found it offensive. What I try to do is get into people's heads that the answer to every question in life is fully funding a Roth IRA, and we get silly with that at times. And obviously, it's not the only thing in life that matters. I'm just trying to pound it into people's heads because it will change the trajectory of somebody's life later down the road and what financial independence they have down the road. So I, yes, I am obsessive about the Roth IRA and talk about it so much that it becomes an eye roll. It can get silly at times. 
Thanks to Clark's advice of finding deals, book it fast, then decide why you want to go there. We've flown round trip to Paris for $269, Vancouver for $121, Honolulu for $274, Athens for $422, Sydney for $650, and Salt Lake City for $78. But why does Clark stink? Because he introduced us to the addictive Aldi cinnamon rolls. Jim. 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 Last time I went to Aldi, I got the last pack of cinnamon rolls. The time before, they didn't have any. Those cinnamon rolls are incredible, and I don't know how they do it. And the calorie count is crazy. I think one cinnamon roll is 280 calories each. I mean, it's not something you should have regularly and routinely because I'm sure they're full of sugar and all kinds of stuff we can have in moderation. But uh, those cinnamon rolls truly are addictive. Have you ever tried one? I've never tried one, no. Wow. I mean, the Germans know how to bake, let me tell you. Not really a stinker, but a bit on the smelly side. You advised against the pay-in-four plans, whereby a consumer buys something and then promises to pay for it in four easy installments. How is this different than using a credit card? Both of them are buy now, pay later. The only difference I can see is that the pay in four makes it inherent that you pay it off quickly, whereas a credit card lets you string it out for a longer period of time and pay more interest. Trudy. Trudy, thank you. So pay in four, which is everywhere. I see it on travel sites. I see it on shopping sites. I see it in just about any retail store I go into, particularly for things that are fully discretionary items. That at the register, it's all about, would you like to pay in four today? This has been so successful because for some reason, psychologically, it gets people to spend more money than they would otherwise, even with the problems that traditional credit cards can have. As I've said with credit cards, if you can't pay a credit card balance in full each month, you shouldn't be using that credit card that the whole system is stacked against you with credit cards where those who can't pay in full are subsidizing those of us who get a free ride paying in full every month. The average credit card interest rate from a bank now is 22%, 12% average from a credit union. That's high interest, no doubt. So yes, credit cards can be okay, but for many people aren't. The point I would make a differentiation with you, paying for is a disaster for people because people use paying for, it seems psychologically different. They're like, oh, you know, I really can't afford that. But look at this. I can pay it in four payments. Sure. I mean, why do you think the airlines are pushing it? Somebody sees how expensive the airline ticket is and they say, well, I can't go. And then the thing pops up. Well, you can pay in four easy payments. They're like, oh, I could do that. And then they can't. Remember what I said. You got roughly a fourth of people who are in the clutches of a debt collector, a fourth that are delinquent, a fourth that are ruining their credit, roughly each equally. This is a bad, dangerous product for people. We have a subscriber on YouTube that called it Buy Now, Pain Later. Pain Later? I like that. Yeah. Um, Not too smelly, but you gave some bad advice. You told your listeners not to bother applying for global entry and that several birthdays could pass before they might be approved for the program. Not true. 
I applied for global entry on 9-11-2023. I was conditionally approved the next day and able to schedule my interview for 10-24-2023. I live in the Chicago area and was able to get an interview at the Customs House in downtown Chicago and was approved for the program within an hour of completing my interview. That's 43 days from start to finish. Please don't discourage others from being part of this great program. Jill. We actually had another subscriber on YouTube who received his very quickly as well. I'm, I'm in shock. I mean, the feds themselves said the global entry program's basically broken down. And if you just are mostly worried about airport security, go with pre-check because that's so streamlined and so quick. Oh, my goodness. Wow. We need to have some guinea pigs go try this. And I have to change my advice. I cannot believe you applied on September 11th and on October 24th, you were approved for global entry and you were in? Oh my goodness. I mean, we've heard from people who've been waiting literally years to get global entry. So the question for you, Jill, and the other person who had great luck, I don't gamble, but the next time there's one of these big gamey things or powerball mm-hmm. things, Tell me your numbers. I'll play the same ones. My goodness. And truth be told, Jill, if I need to change that advice, and this is why we do Clark Stinks, by the way, you're a perfect example of why we do Clark Stinks. If the advice I've given is wrong, outdated, just dumb, I want to correct it. And so you're making me rethink and I'll read more and learn more and see if Global entry is no longer broken. So I appreciate that very much. And I love Chicago. I mean, just go to Chicago. If you can get your global entry quicker there than anywhere else, go. Have a great time. (laughs) Coming up ahead, I want to talk about something that's been a giant stop sign. Trying to buy a new home if you're a first-time home buyer. There's a glimmering of hope out there that I wanted to share with you is coming straight ahead. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Really, really, really hard to buy a home right now if you're a first-time home buyer. It's brutal because you have no equity from a prior home that the value may have gone significantly up from to put into a deal if you need to move, you want to move, you took a job somewhere else in the country, whatever it is. I mean, it's really hard. Mortgage rates back towards, I know this is weird, back towards more historical norms. We got used to these ridiculously low mortgage rates that were being subsidized, uh, manipulated by the Federal Reserve for years and years. And now we're back seven and a half, eight percent somewhere in that area. That is, by historical measures, completely normal. If you talk to people who came of age, gosh, 40 years ago, They can tell you that they came of age in an era that mortgage rates were north of 20%, 20. 
I mean, people would say if somebody got like a 17% mortgage, they say, how'd you do that? You got a 17% mortgage. As you know, somebody, how'd you do that? I mean, really? So we become a product of whatever era we come of age in. And so today we've got a brutal combination we've talked about in the past. You've got people who would like to buy a home and the home prices have gone up by leaps and bounds in so many metro areas over the last really seven years, accelerating during COVID. Now prices flatlining, but not going down appreciably. And you've got mortgage rates that have gone from being overwhelmingly below 4% for a long period of time and now roughly double that. So what are you to do? Well, there's a shift in the housing market that may benefit you. Over time, about one in 10 houses for sale, roughly 10%, 12%, were new home construction. The rest were used homes, or as the real estate industry likes to call it, existing homes. Today, somewhere around a third or so, depending on market, it may be much more than a third, are new construction homes that are available and for sale in the market. And new construction, you end up paying more per square foot than you do for a used home. Because, you know, the construction costs, if they've gone up over time, you're absorbing that when you buy a new home. And so all through the years, and you look back at Clark Smart Real Estate, which I published long ago, it was all about why buying a used home is a better idea than buying a new. Because you're going to pay more for square foot in the story. But there's a difference right now in the market. And that is a lot of new home builders are either heavily involved or experimenting with subsidizing the interest rate on a mortgage for the life of the loan. They do what's called a buy down of rate with the lender. So the builder, in order to get that home moved, is giving you a well below market interest rate by paying for it and buying down that rate. And so the lender, what happens is the lender basically recharacterizes that loan from that buy-down money at a new permanent interest rate that lasts the life. Now, some builders are only doing a three-year buy-down. That really doesn't change the equation for you. It may make it possible for you to get in the home, but it doesn't change the equation like somebody giving you cheaper 30-year money. But Pulte, which is one of the big national publicly traded builders, has had a lot of success with a loan product where they're giving you a 30-year fixed at 5.75%. It's generated a lot of interest and activity, and various lenders have been experimenting with this roughly somewhere right around a third of builders. And remember I said new homes are about a third of the market now that are available, and roughly a third of those builders are doing some kind of interest rate buy-down from one that's just a few years to the whole thing. And that may make the cost of the money cheap enough that you're able to afford the monthly payment and you're in that brand new home versus what I'd always in the past have wanted you to buy, which is the used home. So that's information you can put to work for yourself maybe. And I'll repeat something if you never heard it. There's a meaningful part of the market where people have loans you can assume at the interest rate they already have. This is a big selling feature for people who have those loans, maybe a veteran or something like that, where they have a a direct government loan. That loan interest rate 
can be marketed to you as the buyer of a home. And then you might be getting a loan rate in the threes or something like that. That's another way as a first-time home buyer, you may be able to afford a home when right now it feels like there's no way. And Nicole, what you got for me? Speaking of home buying, we have a question from Christina in Georgia. I bought my first home in 2018, but I have been waiting to move for quite a while. I want to be out of the city and closer to my parents where I grew up. Looking at comps, I can profit about 200K for my home, which I am thinking of using as a down payment so I do not touch my savings. I can afford the mortgage even with these high interest rates. The area I want to be in has great schools and tons to do. So I'm thinking the area will only increase in value. I listened to your advice on the best time to buy a home while you said to wait for first time home buyers. And it was okay if you own your home outright. I was wondering what your advice is for someone in the middle of those situations. Christina, I don't know. Uh, 2018, you probably have a really great rate. You've had enormous gain in equity in just five years. So you are in this muddy middle because you're giving up something that has this very low payment, but you, you don't want to live where you're living. And it sounds like you're not at all interested in, from a distance, managing that as a rental property. So with all those circumstances, not everything is about money. You have the resources, you have the net proceeds you'll have based on the embedded equity you have in it. If you want to move, move. And your idea of using this money as down payment, taking out a mortgage, on the good side, interest rates are going to decline at some point. They're not going back to, you know, one, two, three percent because that was artificially in place. But they're going to go down below even the historical averages. So you may see mortgage rates without a builder subsidy somewhere in the fives. It's very likely in the future. So if you can swing the monthly payment, you're going to be much happier living closer to your parents. In this case, for lifestyle, you do it. And then be prepared at a later date to refi that into a lower mortgage rate when they do come along. Mark in Arizona says, I'm an independent operator and almost have the funds to pay off my business loan early. The loan is 10 years at 9.5% interest. Yuck. And no option to shop around due to my contract. I have seven years left of it and currently have about $100,000 of a payoff. This is the only debt I have left. I mentioned to my CPA in April that I was thinking of paying off my business loan early, but she was steering me away from that option for tax purposes. My question is, would you advise me to pay off my business loan early and continue to rent or use my savings as a down payment for a house? Thanks, Clark. I enjoy your podcast and all the hard work you and your team do to put into the show. So I hate to disagree with a CPA. There is a tendency of CPAs who do tax to focus maybe a bit too much on the tax angle. So there'd have to be a really good argument that in your business circumstance and your tax return, that paying the 9.5% is smart money instead of paying 0% by paying off the loan. I mean, that is a very, very high interest rate on the loan. It does give you the flexibility if your business later, you end up needing cash for it, 
You're not going to have to scramble to take out a loan at who knows what rate. So uh, I would have another conversation with your CPA and find out what is the net effective cost to you after the tax benefits you get and having it as an expense against profits of your business. What is the actual net effective cost of that borrowed money? And your CPA could be right. I despise borrowing money. I hate high interest rates, but I don't want to say your accountant is wrong. You pay that person for their learned advice, expertise, education, training, all the rest. And so I would double back with another question about it, find out the real hard numbers. Is it truly better for you to leave a nine and a half percent loan sitting out there you don't need because the IL cash you have, at best you're earning five point something percent on it. So you got a four and a half point spread there. From Ellen in Ohio, I recently received a letter from a collection agency attempting to collect a debt of $2,628.93 for a T-Mobile account I supposedly had in February, March, 2022. As this is not my account or debt, I called the agency to dispute it and get more information. After verification, they told me I need to complete a fraud claim form online or by mail and file a police report and include a copy with my correspondence. The fraud claim form requires me to provide my full social security number, which has me concerned because isn't access to my social security number what got me into this in the first place? Thanks to you, I have credit freezes in place with Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, but I don't know if these were in place at the time in question. As of this writing, the only thing I've done is mail back the bottom portion of the original letter, checking the box stating that I dispute the debt because it is not my debt. Before proceeding, I wanted to write to you because I desperately need your help with what to do from here. Thank you so much for the work you and your staff do for us, Clarkies. So, yeah, you could have had your credit freeze in place with Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. Historically, the cell phone industry uses an obscure small credit bureau to run identity verifications to save money instead of using one of the big three, Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian. So this happens, unfortunately, too often that even with a credit freeze in place, because the cell phone carriers often use this obscure agency to verify a criminal who engaging in identity theft may be able to get through the system pretending to be you. Now, they're treating you as you're guilty till proven innocent at the debt collector. So you need to, as you did, you disputed the debt. But you also should, if you've not done so yet, do the police report, send it in to them, because you said you sent back the form, but you did not say you completed the police report, I would file the police report and provide it. Providing your social security number, I think is a terrible idea. I would not do that in this case. This is not, in my opinion, when somebody's already breached your identity, a legitimate business purpose to then turn around and give your entire social security number to the collection agency. I just wouldn't do it. Be prepared to get copies of all three of your credit reports. They are available to you for free at annualcreditreport.com. 
You want to see if this has shown up as a collection on your credit reports. You dispute with one, two, or three, wherever this has shown up. You provide the copy of your police report and the rest. There's a very common occurrence with criminals applying for cell phone services if they're you. Often it's not for the services to get the phone that you may get as a new subscriber of a cell phone service. And then they fence that phone, that uh, brand new fancy iPhone or fancy Samsung or whatever. It's not so much about having the cell phone service. And let me know later or if you need additional help because you're beating your head against the wall with the collection agency. I want you to talk with our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, available for free to talk one-on-one 30 hours a week. This is the kind of stuff they deal with repeatedly. If the steps you're already taking and the additional I mentioned with the police report don't solve the problem, getting the copies of your credit file from annualcreditreport.com for free from the three bureaus. It's not on there. You're good for now. And if you go to clark.com slash CAC, you'll see how you can do that. But can't do that on the weekend. I'll tell you why in a minute. After we hear today's Clarky. Nicole, who's today's Clarky? Today's Clarky is Paul. Hi, Clark. This is Paul in Washington, D.C. I want to read you an email that I sent in last December before you had Clarky of the day. Krista did send a very nice response back then. I'll go ahead and read it now. My dad died unexpectedly this past weekend at the age of 71. I immediately got on a plane to be with my mom. I can't tell you how many times Clark would do this or Clark would do that or Clark would feel this way was said as we discussed her financial situation. Thank you for what you do. You have brought relief to my mom and me during a very difficult time. I am eternally grateful. Paul, that is is very touching. I'm really sorry about you losing your dad, your mom losing her beloved husband. And thank you for sharing that. And Nicole is filling in for Krista this week. If you'll relay to Krista how much that meant to him that she responded in his time of grief. And Paul, thank you for sharing that. And I want to tell you, next week, Thanksgiving, what do I do on Thanksgiving? I'm on vacation all week long. So we will not have... Uh, a regular new podcast next week. We will have best of episodes. So I hope you can catch up on any of the episodes you may have missed lately. I want to wish you a very happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have a wonderful time with family. I love the family part. I can't stand Thanksgiving food. but Me either. You don't like Thanksgiving <laughs> don't food either? either? <laughs> I, I don't get it. Those poor turkeys getting sacrificed. Ugh. Not into turkey at all. Uh, So anyway, I hope you have a wonderful, great Thanksgiving holiday week. And if you're traveling by air next week, it goes without saying, get to the airport early, have the app of the airline on your phone so you are prepared to flex and pivot if your flight gets delayed, canceled, you miss a connection whatever. I hope that it is a wonderful holiday period. If you're shopping, know that this week used to be the Super Bowl of shopping. The whole month of November is that. And have a great time. And I will be with you the last week of November 
with our podcast. Have a wonderful day.